decision today to uh, take her off of life support, Lord. And Lord, we want to just um, thank you that uh, they're in your hands. And Lord, we also pray for that church family, for Trinity Covenant Church. We thank you for them. And, and uh, no doubt, Lord, uh, their entire church family feels the weight of this. And we would pray, God, your blessing upon that church. And we pray, Lord, that uh, somehow through this, God, you would get glory somehow. Lord, in my limited perspective, you know, I don't see it. I don't get it. It makes sense to me, Lord, that Marissa would not die at eight years old, but that she would live to a ripe old age. But, Father, she's in your hands. I thank you for that, God. I thank you. I thank you that her family is in your hands, and we pray your blessing upon them, God. And Lord, we uh, pray as well for our nation, too. We know that this week is a big week for the United States of America as we uh, have the inauguration of a new president. Father, we would pray that, God, that our nation would be turned to you. We pray, Lord, that... Um, I know I often say, Lord, we, we, we pray God bless America, but Lord, we, we do pray that America blesses you. Uh, that's our desire, Lord. And we pray that uh, your kingdom would come here and your will would be done in this nation, just like your will is done in heaven. And that's our prayer, God. And so, Lord, uh, we do pray um, for this week as the inauguration takes place that you God would be honored and glorified in it all and that uh, the eyes of our nation would um, well that we would look to you not to a new president I pray Jesus you're, you are where my hope lies and uh, I'm so thankful that I get to live in your unshakable kingdom and serve you my unquestionable king and Enjoy your unlimited resources. <laughs> You're a good king. So, Lord, we commit these things to you, too. And I pray for your word now, too, that you would just, man, drive this thing into our hearts today, I pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. You know, uh, I've been watching. I, I confess, I, I don't know Marissa or her family. I actually, I can't, I don't even know their last name, to be truthful. I've just been praying for Marissa this week. Um, but uh, um, one thing it certainly drives home to me is this family uh, says goodbye to, I think she's eight years old. Um, it drives home to me the absolute importance and necessity, moms and dads, you, it's never too early to begin teaching your children about Jesus and encouraging them to make a decision for Jesus. It's never, ever too early. And I don't know what you do, or but I mean, I'm, I mean, you start when they're in the womb, praying for them and blessing them. And then they're born, you continue it, pray, and continue to speak into their lives and continue to introduce them to Jesus. And we never let up. That's the privilege that we have as parents, Right? So that's huge. 
I got two things before we get into the word this morning. The first is that our annual Holy Spirit weekend is coming up in, on February 10th and 11th, right? And that's just a few short weeks away. And I really want to encourage you to participate uh, with it and, particip- and to do more than participate, but I also encourage you to join me in fasting and praying as we prepare for it. Um, I've been reading the Bible lately uh, in my devotions. I've been reading the book of Genesis and uh, usually start there at the beginning of the year and just read the story of Jacob uh, this last week. And one of the things that hit me about Jacob is Jacob is this guy, right? He, uh, he cheats his older brother Esau out of the inheritance. And then when Esau says, I'm going to kill you, um, Jacob ran, right? And so he fled to his uncle Laban's house, and his uncle Laban lived, I really don't know, but a good distance away. And on the way to his uncle Laban's house, Jacob, the guy who just shysted his older brother out of the inheritance, right? I mean, not one of his finer moments. Jacob has an encounter with God that absolutely rocks his world and changes life. And so then he, you know, I mean, it's such a great encounter with God that it makes it into the Bible, right? It's an encounter of biblical proportions, we would say. And then Jacob gets up the next morning and he continues on and he gets to his uncle Laban's house. And then one thing leads to another. He falls in love with Rachel. He marries Leah, ends up marrying both sisters and their concubines. That's a long story. Has a bunch of kids, has a bunch of conflict, has a bunch of trouble. 20 years pass. Get this, 20 years And then Jacob says, it's time to get out of Dodge again. Stuff with his uncle wasn't working out so hot, and he decides it's time to leave. And at that point, he encounters God again. And my point is this. I think we need multiple encounters with God throughout the course of our life. I can't just be content to have one. You know, why? Because life gets in the way. I mean, Jacob has this awesome encounter with God, and then 20 years of junk happens. And then he has another encounter with God. Follow? And you and I are like that, too. I mean, junk happens. Does it not? Who has junk? You have junk? I have junk. We all have it. Junk happens. I need, I need a fresh encounter with God. I need to meet with him. And so that's what the Holy Spirit weekend is. Have you ever encountered God? Or maybe I should ask, when was the last time you had an encounter with God? You know, personally, I hunger for it every day. That's no exaggeration. Every single day. Now, I don't have a dramatic encounter with God every single day. But every single day, I'm looking for it, man. I want his presence in my life. The cry in my heart is to know the Father in the same way that Jesus knows the Father. And so the Holy Spirit weekend is a weekend we set aside as a church, right? It's a Friday night and a Saturday, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon. We set it aside to come together to seek God. This year we've invited my friend, Pastor David Mullen. He's the pastor at Church of the Living God, and he's going to come and he's going to teach us and facilitate our weekend. And I'm really excited about that because a number of years ago, back in the mid-90s, Church of the Living God in had a revival that took place, quite an encounter that took place in their church body. In fact, um, 
I, I really, I've said it before, I really believe there's not a church in this region that hasn't been impacted by what God did at Church of the Living God back in the mid-90s. I mean, you can find the people from that church uh, and from that, from that experience, they have fanned out to the region and really around the world. And um, I'm just so thankful for the ministry, and our church has benefited very much from what God has done at Church of the Living God. So I'm excited for God to use Pastor Dave to bring that here. And uh, so I'm just asking you, join me fasting and praying regularly until February 10th and 11th, and we'll seek God together. And like Jacob all those years ago, with all the junk that happens in our lives and gets in the way, we're going to run past it. We're going to get into the presence of the Lord together. And bring friends, invite them, bring them, pack the, bullet, pack the place. It's free. It's going to be a great time. And then the second one is this. Two weeks from today, two weeks from today is Covenant Sunday, right? You have this in your bulletin. Um, we put this in your programs for today. But two weeks from today is Covenant Sunday. This is our fellowship covenant. This is what you're going to be signing in two weeks. So that so you, nobody can say, hey, I didn't know what that was. You have time to read it, look through it, think through it, pray through it, talk about it, right? So you'll notice it's got, it starts with a preamble, right? The preamble lays the foundation for us, doesn't it? That we believe Jesus Christ is the foundation of our church. So having placed my faith in Jesus, A, and then second, I demonstrate that through baptism. We happen to believe that baptism doesn't save a person, but Jesus did tell us to be baptized, so I, I sure want to be obedient, right? I'd hate to show up to heaven someday and Jesus go, hey, I asked you to do that one thing. And I'm like, yeah, I never had time, never got around to it. So we make baptism an important deal. Have been baptized. And then third, having a come into agreement with what God's doing here in New River Church, we commit together. And you see the three commitments that we make? The first commitment is, is your, that you embrace Jesus, right, in your personal walk with him. Because no lo- every local church is the sum total of its parts. So New River Church can only be as passionate about Jesus as we each are passionate about Jesus as individuals. That makes sense? So if New River, if the, if the level of heat in our church, if you will, is low, it's because as individuals, our heat is low. Does that make sense? So my first responsibility as a member of this church is to run after Jesus with everything I've got. I'm going to pursue him with everything I've got. And I invite you to do the same. That's the first commitment. The second commitment is I commit to embracing this community. I want to make this community as strong as possible. And so I'm going to fight for her unity. I'm going to serve her well. I'm going to give to her and make this community everything that Jesus wants her to be. That's the second commitment that we make. And then the third commitment, you see the third commitment there is basically to embrace others, right? To invite them to come in, to reach out into the community around us and share Jesus with them. That we, that we, so we have kind of three, you know, we embrace Jesus, we embrace our community here, and we embrace the world around us with Jesus' love. So it's pretty simple. It's not rocket science. It's not super complicated, But we believe that God actually honors commitment. You believe that? I believe he does. I don't think that really anything of significance happens much 
if we don't first commit to it. I mean, think about your, your education. You, you're not going to learn a lot in school if you don't commit to the program of school, right? Um, at, at your work, you're not going to be very successful at work if you don't commit to the goals that are set at work, right? Um, in your family, your marriage, your family, your kids, you're not going to be very successful if you don't commit to it. It requires commitment. And the same thing goes in New River, in our church body. It requires commitment in order for us to really make it happen. So I always get a chuckle out of people that uh, say they're not into organized religion. You know, they always diss it. And my response is often, well, is disorganized religion any better? I don't, I don't think of that. So maybe the question is not whether it's organized, but just whether it's organized around something that's good. You know what I mean? So what we're trying to do is to organize around something that's good. So that's Covenant Sunday in two weeks. So now, let's get into the Word. So that's kind of got three sermons, because if you think about it, that was a whole good point right there. Just made that was a good point. And the other one was a really good point. So that's two points. So you get like six of them today. So we have this, uh, we have this foundational... We have these four foundational pillars as a church, right? We're going to, and I, I kind of like to think of us as being like a four-cylinder church. Four cylinders doesn't mean slow or weak. It just means efficient, right? If you're four cylinders, uh, delivers the power in an, in an efficient, fuel-effective way. And I think that we've got four cylinders as a church and if we're firing on all four of these cylinders, we can really help people get passionate for Jesus and engage culture and actually love life, right? I think we're supposed to actually love life. Believe it or not, we're not supposed to be miserable in this world. So I'm convinced that if we live on these four pillars and we're firing on all four of these cylinders, that that can actually happen. So we enjoy Jesus. We encourage people. We equip leaders, and then we engage the culture around us. We exercise all four of those things, friends. Man, we're firing on all, fil- all four cylinders, and we're cooking with gas, like they say. So two weeks ago, on January 1st, we started this year off, the whole was with enjoying Jesus. We had such a sweet time January 1st, all three of us. It was a great time. We... We celebrated communion together, we worshiped, we prayed, it was really good. And then last week we had Pastor Caleb with us, right? And Pastor Caleb is uh, really reminding us about engaging culture. I just think it's cool to me that we as a church are actually having impact as far away as Rongo, Kenya and Nicaragua. And I'm convinced that God wants us to have that same impact here in Manchester as well. So there, and now this morning, I really want to encourage you. I think that the the point of this is encouragement this morning to you. So in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says that God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but he gave us a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So God gave you a daring spirit. A bold spirit, a courageous spirit, that that's actually part of your spiritual DNA as a child of God, right? You're like, I'm a child of God. Well, a child of God is a courageous, daring, 
fearless person, right? One of the clearest ways that you reflect your father's, your father's heart in heaven is to be courageous, is to take risks, faith-filled kind of behavior. And our first cautious question is, yeah, but what if it doesn't work? I mean, what if, what if I take a faith step? I mean, we all have examples in our lives of something not working, and we sort of become fearful about that, don't we? Friends, I can't think, can you, of a single example in the Bible of someone who took a step of faith and it failed, whom God rebuked. Can you? I mean, I can think of a number of people in the Bible that God rebuked for not taking steps of faith. Sure. You can think of people that played it safe. Those people didn't represent God well. But I can't think of one person in the Bible who took a bold step of faith, it blew up in their face, and then God rebuked them for it. No, in fact, those people that are always pushing the limits, those crazies, those are precisely the people that have captured our Father's heart. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So the reverse is also true. Great faith pleases God greatly. Does it not? Faith brings pleasure to God. He loves it when you and I act in faith. Faith is a verb. It's something that we do. It's not something that we have. It's not a warm feeling. Faith is actually a step. It's something that I do. The difference between a vibrant, joyful child of God and one who is dead? Faith. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. It says this. It says that there's two groups of people. It says, we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. You see what he's saying? You have two groups of people, group A, group B, and one message. Both groups heard the same message, right? Group A, the message did them no good. Why? because they didn't combine it with faith. Group B combined the message they heard with faith, and it rocked their world, changed their life, was awesome. The difference between the two groups of people was faith. One group took action, the other group did not. What does that mean? James chapter 2. I've, uh, if you want to look it up with me in your Bible, I didn't put it on there on purpose, because I want you to use your Bibles. But James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17, he says this. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is what? She did. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. James says, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You want to know how strong my faith is? Look at my life. 
Watch my life. Um, the evidence of the faith you carry, friends, is the life that you live. I'm going to ask you a question. When was the last time you took a step of faith? Listen, I, I want to share something with you. This is absolutely vital to your Christian growth. You ready? This is it right here. These next two points are huge. I mean them with all sincerity. You cannot grow as a Christian if you do not take steps of faith. The way that God designed it to work in the Christian life is that when you learn something, you do it. I learn it, and then I do it. I learn about prayer, and then I pray. I learn about the importance of God's word in my life, and then I study God's word in my life. I learn about tithing, and then I tithe. I learn about forgiveness, and then I forgive. You follow the, you see the pattern? That's the pattern. You learn it, and then you put it into practice. You do it. I learn about witnessing, and then I practice witnessing. Listen, this is how we grow. Many Christians stop growing because they stop practicing what they learn. But this, my friend, is what faith is. Faith is practicing what I learn. Faith is actually believing that, well, this book is true and it's good and it's right. And if I actually did what it said, it would work. That's faith. Otherwise, it's not faith. We've permitted ourselves too often to just simply have a faith that is mental and kind of a feeling faith, but not an actual faith that, that goes, into, goes into behavior. And sometimes that's really tough, isn't it? Isn't faith difficult? It is. As a matter of fact, I've, I never find it to be easy. <laughs> and we're always to be pushing the limits. Always. That's faith. Um, you know, uh, you go, but, but what if it doesn't work? <laughs> you know, like I, I heard, I, I know, you know, we learn about the laying on of hands, let's say, and praying for healing, right? I, I just was at the district, I was just this week interviewing a couple, let me back up. I'm on the district licensing committee, and so I get to meet with all the new pastors who come into our district in New England, in the Christian Missionary Alliance. So this week was up at the district office and uh, interviewed a couple of guys. And one of the guys that we were talking about healing, and, and one of the guys we interviewed just say, he said, well, you know, yeah, we believe in healing, but we, you know, we, we really don't push it too much because people get disappointed. And my heart absolutely sank, actually. <clears throat> and... And I get it, I get it, because I also have prayed many times for healing and not seen it. So I get, I get the disappointment, right? I get it. Except that <clears throat> that's not what God's Word says. And so I, I don't want to take, I don't want my experience to dictate my theology. I want God's Word to dictate my theology. And I assume if there's a difference between my experience and God's Word, well, the then there's something I got to learn. There's something I've, there's a piece I'm missing here and I've got to keep pressing, keep, but I don't want to just 
come up with a comfortable doctrine to excuse my lack of experience and then call it a day. That doesn't make any sense. That's not, that, that's not integral in my faith. So you go, well, what if they don't get healed? What if people are disappointed? What, what if? Yeah, maybe. Listen, here's point number two. You can't expect miracles without risk, without disappointment, without failure. You just can't. The truth is, yes, you could take a step of faith and it blows up in your face. Yep, absolutely. Or you don't take a step of faith and nothing happens. Two options, right? So I can either exist in boredom or I can abundantly live. The abundant life that Jesus promised me is not found in my comfort zone. It's not there. It's just not. My Bible is littered with stories of men and women who tried great things for God and it blew up in their faces. Isn't yours? I see people in my Bible who got kicked out of their synagogues, run out of their towns, mocked, made fun of, misunderstood, had rocks thrown at them, right? And that was the ones that had it easy. Then there's a whole list of others. They got thrown to lions, sawed in two, boiled in oil, skinned alive, crucified upside down, beheaded, and the list goes on. All great men and women of God who took steps of faith and had it absolutely explode in their faces. And you know what God says to those men and women? The Bible tells us, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. But God, I'm missing a leg, and I'm missing this, and I'm missing that, and well done. My point is that somewhere along the line, we've bought into the lie that says if I exercise faith, that it's supposed to be successful and beautiful. But our experience has proven otherwise, because we've all had failure, and then we've opted to play it safe, and then we wonder why we don't see God anymore. I have God living inside of me. That ought to be enough to up my game right? I think that a life of miracles and a life of faith is like splitting wood. I've got these big, huge, my neighbor over the summer had a couple of trees taken down and he gave me his wood for our stove. And so I've had this big pile of just, and these are, they're, I mean, these rounds are hundreds of pounds, you know, I can't even get my arm around them. And you know what I find? I'm splitting them, working away at it, chipping away at it every as much as I can, a couple hours a week, and swing the awl, swing the maul rather, and hit it. And the first time I hit some of those rounds, it literally bounces up. Ever had that? Ever had a 15-pound piece of iron bounce back in the air at you when you swing it on a log, right? And you hit it again, and it bounces again, and it bounces again, and it bounces again, and then it sticks. And then I swing it again, and it sticks a little deeper. And then you swing it a few more times, and it makes that beautiful sound, that And I know, oh, it's game over for this piece of wood, baby, right? I've won this battle. And I keep swinging, and it's only a matter of time before the whole thing is cut up into chunks ready for the stove. You know what? The life of miracles is like that. You hit it, and you hit it, and you hit it, and you hit it, and you hit it. And then suddenly there's a crack. And you know, it's only a matter of time. In Romans chapter 5, verse 4, we read that perseverance is something that God really likes. 
Perseverance is something he wants to do in you and me. Perseverance actually produces good character. Romans chapter 5, verse 4, it says that. I wonder if the reason why we don't see miracles or answers to prayer like right away is because God knows that perseverance is producing godly character in us. The miracle's coming, but in the meantime, keep hitting away at it and getting stronger with every swing, right? You see, God is making you into a giant. He's make, God's dreams for you are bigger than your dreams for you, friend. And sometimes, I mean, perseverance is what is necessary, <laughs> You know, this year uh, marks my 15th year with the South Windsor Fire Department, right? I love, I love my role as a chaplain for the fire and the police. I really do. I wish there was a way to get paid at it because it's just a lot of fun. But I do it for free, and I love it. When I started 15 years ago, the fire department gave me bunker gear, right, to go to scenes. And my bunker gear was clean. And all the guys made fun of me because my bunker gear was clean. But I'm the chaplain. My gear's not supposed to get dirty. I don't fight fires. They do, right? But their gear gets used. My gear stays pretty. But those who know me know that I really don't like being pretty. That's not my thing. I'm a hands-on kind of person. I'm not content to sit on the bench and watch the game from the sidelines. That's just not how I roll. So over the last 15 years, every chance I've had, I've gotten in, right? I've rolled up hoses, I've helped with the overhaul, I've sifted through rubble to rescue pets and move out garbage, and I get dirty, and I don't wash off the dirt. And now they can't laugh at me because my gear is dirty, right? But it's not too dirty, it's just dirty enough to look like it's used. That's what my gear is. You know, I think about my heroes in the Bible. The Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, the Apostle Paul. You got Moses, Abraham, Sarah, Ruth, Esther, Mary, Samson, Daniel, Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, all these greats, right? Every one of them got their gear dirty. Every one of them. They all showed up at heaven's gates with ripped pants and soot on their faces. They had victories for sure, but they also had a whole lot of failures. A whole lot of failures in the process. We tend to forget that. We tend to just hold up the victories, and then we think that that's how my life is supposed to always be. I take a step of faith, victory! Well, yes, victory. But along the way, it does blow up occasionally, and that's okay too. In fact, that's part of the process. Follow? That's the life of faith. Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, it says something really fascinating to me, and I come back to it a lot. It says, these signs will follow those who believe. They'll cast out demons, they'll raise the dead, they'll step on poisonous snakes and not die. They'll, I mean, they do all these cool things. But the key phrase is, These signs follow those who believe. That's the key phrase in that verse. In other words, if you don't want that, cool, don't believe. You don't ever have to worry about it. But if you do want that, 
then you have to, you have to take steps of faith. I think two words summarize the Christian life, summarize the attitude, if you will, of the faithful follower of Jesus. What if? We kind of are governed by that. Well, what if? What if it actually works? Right? You've got a bad back. What if you came to this altar this morning and believed God for healing in your back? What if? I could tell you what would happen if you don't come. Nothing. You don't have to worry about it. But what if you did? Right? What if you went back to school to study and get that certificate that you've been waiting for? What if? Well, I know what happens if you don't go. Nothing. But what happens if you did? Or what if you went to work tomorrow determined to share the gospel with somebody? Determined to share Jesus with somebody you work with tomorrow? I don't know. But I know what happens if you don't go with that attitude. Nothing. But maybe something would. You follow? What if you taught a class? What if you made the phone call? You know, you've had this friend you haven't talked to in five years, six years. And you keep thinking about him. Maybe God wants to restore that friendship. Maybe. So what would happen if you call them? Well, they might yell at you. It might get really ugly. And they might hang up on you. And it might blow up in your face. Or, 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 or. It could be glorious. There could be a restoration. Right? What if kind of is the mantra of the follower of God. What if I take this step of faith and then God does something with it? Friends, um, I know this. There are many opportunities for you and I to experience breathtaking, heart-pounding rushes of faith that are well within the parameters of Scripture. I know that God has not created New River Church to be a safe people, Like, we're not supposed to have clean bunker gear. That's not the goal. Not. We're we're people with ripped jeans and torn pants and soot on our faces, a people that have tried a bunch of things and had it blow up in our faces, but a people that have also tried some things and had it really go great, right? And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we get to heaven, we're surrounded by other men and women, great men and women of God, also with dirty bunker gear and we swap stories right of what the battle was like as we lived faithful lives on planet earth that's a life of faith so my question to you friend is what step what step do you need to take you've been learning something you've been learning something right so now put it into action and watch what God does So, Father, I just want to thank you for, um, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. Like that song we sang earlier, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. That's our response to you. Yes, Lord. God, I pray that, that, yeah, Lord, Lord, we don't want to put you off. That's not, nope, that's not our heart. We're not, we're not going to lock you up in committee, God, and talk about it forever and ever. We want to be a people of action, a people that say, yes, Lord, yes, use me, here am I, send me, I'm yours, yes, Lord, yes, Lord.
And so, Father, thank you. I just thank you, Lord. I thank you that your dreams for us are, wow, so incredible, Father. I mean, God, you really want us to be just like Jesus? Wow, that's a big dream. I say yes, Lord. Okay. I'm in. I'm in. Thank you, Father. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So friends, uh, would you stand with me? And we're going to sing. And I'm going to open up this altar. And I want you to ask this. What if? What if? What if I actually went forward and asked God to do something about that thing that's on your heart? I don't know. You won't know until you try. So let's stand and let's uh, close our time.